Hey there, I'm Jacob Harmon from JMH Media. Welcome to TrustCast. I am intrigued by trust. In fact, I find myself thinking about trust and building trust all the time. Our governments, economies, and even our personal lives are completely built on trust. Think about it. Trust is even at the very soul of our marketing objectives. If a customer trusts us, they're more willing to buy from us. So how do we build trust with customers at scale? Especially when we live in an increasingly digital world where consumers are less trusting than ever. On this podcast, we break through the noise and focus on the ultimate keystone metric that matters. Our primary objective, trust. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of TrustCast. Today, I have Katie Dooley with me, and she is from Paper Lime Creative, a branding and marketing agency, very similar to the stuff that I do. So we speak the same language. I'm excited to talk marketing with you today. How are you, Katie? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Jacob. Of course. I'm always just looking forward to talk to a fellow marketer. I nerd out on it. I just like to talk about these things. So I'm happy whenever I can have anyone like yourself on the show. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's, let's just kind of dive into this. Your agency specifically does like corporate identity and branding. So let's start there. What makes a good brand? What makes a bad brand? I, that's a big question to start with. I love it. Um, I think a good brand versus a bad brand is just how much thought and effort you put into it. And it's a tough question because there are businesses with ugly logos that have great brands. And I think sometimes we forget to separate a logo from a brand mm. um, and vice versa. Businesses with great logos and terrible brands it's really on it's really about thinking about your customers needs and putting your focus on them and i th- you know obviously i think logos are important it's part of my job but you can care about your customers and have a bad logo mm, yeah interesting do you have any examples I, mean, I i love examples and i feel like it makes it a little more tangible what's maybe a company that they could improve their logo a little bit but they do a wonderful job on other pieces of branding oh that's I I immediately think of things that are local to me. So that's, uh-huh, that's, that's, that's um there is a farm here in Alberta. So I'm in Alberta, Canada, and they do like humanely raised meats, uh grass-fed, mm. grain-finished, high quality, and they have a terrible logo, so I'm not going <laughs> to <laughs> throw them under the bus right now, but like I said, high quality product, very involved in the community, very present in the community. Through COVID, they've done delivery, all sorts of amazing things. And maybe their graphics aren't great, but they know who they serve and how to serve them. Yeah, I I really like that because to me, that really makes it very tangible what makes a good brand then, right? You're talking about serving the community and serving their people. And at the end of the day, I think that's one of the biggest things you can do to generate trust and brand loyalty, regardless of what your logo looks like. And obviously, I like good logos <laughs> as a 
as a designer, I'm sure you do too. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's where we step in is when you have a great product and your competitor has a great product and you have great service and your competitor has great service. So as a consumer, how do you differentiate at that point? And that's mm. where people like us come in and make you look good and, and polish all that messaging so you can can be competitive. But the core of the brand is is who you're serving and doing doing your best to serve, right? That should be the focus, I think, of every business instead of something that's centric and self-serving. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, we all get into to business for maybe a little bit of ego, and to do something for ourselves, but it's not sustainable if you're at the center of it long-term. Yeah. And we may be going a little bit too far out of the marketing realm, <laughs> but as a business owner, I, I am sure you can talk a little bit on this piece too, but what are some of the things you can do to check yourself and make sure that you're not bringing that ego in and you're not making it all about you, but that you make sure that I mean, you just have that check, right? To make sure you're still thinking about your customers. Absolutely. And I, I, I think that's a huge part of marketing. A couple of, of things that I think are good checks. All of this depends on what your business is and the setup of your business, but your brand values or your mission or your vision, why you got into business and how you hope to serve people. And then one tool I use and I provide my customers with is I call them brand characteristics or the lens in which you need to approach your customer. Okay, could you tell us a little bit more about that? What, what exactly is a brand characteristic and what makes that different than a brand value? So I would say like values would be like honesty, integrity, those big ones, how you can um, conduct yourself maybe if there's a complaint or a problem. And then brand characteristics are, or at least how I define them, are the personality of your brand. So mine are bold, friendly, laid back, fresh, and creative. So that's tells me if I'm writing an email, I need to be those things. If I'm answering the phone, I need to be those things. And that's a good way, you know, if a customer has raised a concern, instead of defaulting to maybe angry or defensive, how do you come at it through your values, which might be things like honesty and integrity, and approach it in a way that is consistent and puts your customers first through those characteristics. So even if someone raises a concern, I'm still going to be friendly about it and look at it in those terms. Yeah. Yeah. I I think oftentimes when I develop a website for someone or I'm, I'm building something, I, I ask them like, what feeling do you want this to give off? Right. And I think that that's a very similar question, but I like the idea of having that be a piece of your brand, not just yeah. a piece of that creative, not just the logo or the website or, or the flyer or whatever it is, but have it be a part of the whole company. Right. Yeah. And I, I reframe it in a way and how does the business owner want it to feel, but how does it need to feel for the person you're serving? I think was even arguably more important. Uh huh. And as a business owner, I think our tendency is to not do that. <laughs> Oftentimes, I, I mean, I know as I work with my clients, it's like, well, do you like this or not? Like, like, oh, well, I, I, I don't like the look of that. I want to move it over a bit or move it up or make it bigger, whatever the, the critique is. But they're just going off of what looks good to them, right? They're just like, eh, it's a personal preference thing. And I Absolutely. think that it's easy to do that, unfortunately. <laughs> 
It is. It can be hard to step into your customer's shoes. That's definitely a difficult exercise, especially if you are not the same as your ideal customer. Mm -hmm. um, one example I like to give uh, is there's a wedding photographer in the city I'm, I'm in, and he's a fabulous wedding photographer. Uh, he's a 50-year-old man. And typically brides who hire wedding photographers are 27-year-old females is the average. Yeah. So exactly your example of building a website, it might be his personal preference, but can he step into the shoes of a 27-year-old bride looking for a wedding photographer? And that mm -hmm. I like that example because it's such a vast difference between right. who the wedding photographer's demographic and the bride's demographic. But yeah, if you're a millennial business owner, all of a sudden the differences are harder to harder to see and it can be harder to remove yourself and to step in those shoes. I think it's harder when there's less of a difference than when there is a big difference. Interesting. Yeah. Because it's almost like you assume that you are already in that demographic, even though you might slightly be outside of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if you're like this, Jacob, but sometimes I forget people don't know all these terms vector yeah. rgb uh, <laughs> bleeds just put some crop marks on it right and people are like what are you talking about and <laughs> my brain goes how does a business owner not know this but it's not a business owner's job to know it it's my job to know it i just happen right. to be a business owner who knows <laughs> right right yeah it, it almost it, so i i speak spanish fluently and the i was trying to learn portuguese but I found that Portuguese was so hard to learn because it was so similar to Spanish yeah. that my brain just could not make those tiny little adjustments. I think for me, it would probably be 10 times easier to go learn a language that's completely different. Go learn something like German because Portuguese and Spanish, they just, they're just so similar that my brain just couldn't do it. And so I think that sometimes the closer things are, the harder it is for us to see those little nuances and the small little details and differences. Yeah, I love that analogy. I'm actually trying to learn Portuguese right now in Duolingo, but I don't speak <laughs> Spanish, so. <laughs> Eu não falo português. <laughs> yeah, um, but I do speak Spanish. Spanish is wonderful. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, that's so interesting. So and what are some tips then to try to put yourself in the shoes of your customer, especially when it is hard, when you think you might already kind of have that empathy? How do you, what are some exercises that help business owners? I think getting as detailed as possible about the person you're serving. Um, like when I work with my clients, it's, you know, people can answer and say, oh, you know, a 40-year-old female who lives in Alberta. People can, if you ask who their ideal customers, they can probably tell you that. But I want to mm. know what they do on the weekends. I want to know what keeps them up at night. I want to know how many kids they have. Are they driving those kids to soccer or baseball or dance class? Do they live in a house? Do they own that house? Are they renting? Because this is where you can start to see marketing opportunities, but also potential pain points in places where you can serve them that maybe your competitors aren't. And then another great opportunity is just find someone who is your, who have a favorite client, ask them, they'll tell you mm -hmm. what they need and, and can maybe clarify some of those nuances for you. Yeah. I think, I think that's so underrated. It's so simple, 
but just ask questions, right? <laughs> Be curious. <laughs> yeah. And if you have a great relationship with one of your existing clients, they're more than happy to, they're like flattered, right? If you approach them and say, hey, you're one of my favorite clients. If I could have 10 of you, 100 of you, this would be the best job ever. Mm. Can you look at my website? Can you read this pamphlet or brochure? Take a look at my social media and tell me what you think. They'd probably be so flattered that you're reaching out to them because they're your favorite. Yeah. You're blowing my mind here and you shouldn't be because it's so simple. Like it just makes sense. But I'm actually currently in the process of thinking, okay, I need to revamp my website. I mean, it looks okay, but I know that the messaging could be improved. And, and one of the big problems that I find as a marketer is finding time to do my own marketing because <laughs> I'm always doing stuff for others. Um, but I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I need to do. I just need to go to my favorite clients and ask them, what about my website makes you trust me more? What makes you want to do business with me? What makes you maybe a little turned off or think that, oh, maybe this wouldn't be good? It's, it's, it's just, just asking those simple, simple questions. And it makes sense to go to the clients you like because those are the type of people you want to attract more of. Absolutely. And I think people get a little bit scared of getting so focused. Um, hmm. You know, when you get right down to, you know, age and gender and location and hobbies and interests, people worry that they're going to exclude, but chances are you're just going to get more of better. Mm. And I think that's great. And, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard you, you market to everyone, you attract no one. Mm -hmm. And I love when businesses say, <laughs> Love, ironically love when people say, oh, I, I work with anyone that, you know, I've heard hairdressers say anyone that has hair or, you know, car salesman, anyone that needs a car. And I don't have Jacob, have you ever worked in retail? I have briefly worked in retail. So I was a representative for a brand in my college and that brand happened to have a presence in our campus store. And so I would help out there, but I haven't worked in retail exclusively for a very long time. It was just a brief period. Have you ever had a customer yell at you? Like oh, tear a strip oh, out of you, yell at you? Yeah, I, I worked in a restaurant. Okay, perfect. <laughs> which, which is probably similar to retail in the way that you're going for it. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that's anyone who wants to eat dinner or order a meal. And yeah. They, I don't want those customers to be completely honest. So when you're that broad, you get customers that aren't the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. On, and whether that's price point or attitude or values or. So I love to get laser focused because then you get what you love every single mm -hmm. time. I, I really like that because hypothetically speaking, let's say you did attract everyone. Let's say every single person who wanted to eat came to your restaurant. You couldn't handle it anyways, right? Like I know that if every business out there that wanted a website was all of a sudden knocking at my door, that would actually be a bad thing for my business, not a good thing. And so focusing just makes sense because I don't want every business out there. I couldn't handle every business out there, even if I got them. Absolutely. And back to the restaurant analogy, then you're going to get people with allergies and intolerances and screaming kids and just send the back because they want a free meal or 
My husband used to work in restaurants and he had someone send soup back because it was too hot. What a cool. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh so, my gosh. I, I think they literally like took it back to the kitchen, went and then brought it back out. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. But that's when you say, like, I want to work with anyone and everyone. These are the types of people you can get. And I think it's a waste of your energy and a waste of your resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that makes so much sense to me. So you might as well choose a very specific kind of person you want to work with and really put all your efforts into attracting those people. And that doesn't mean that you can't do work with other people. That doesn't mean if someone else comes to you and says, hey, can you design my logo, or can you build my website, or do whatever, you can still do that. You, But you can make that choice, you know? But your marketing is focused on attracting the very ideal and perfect customer for your business. That just makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. There will always be peripheral customers. You, you don't have to worry about you know, everyone disappearing. I think that's a common fear, but it's unfounded. Mm -hmm. So if I've understood this right, the goal is to define very specifically the type of person that you want to work with, the ideal customer, the person that's going to be the perfect fit for your business. And then you design your brand, your values and your um, characteristics. Is that what you called them? Before. Yep. So you design your values, your characteristics, your logo, your website, all of your marketing materials, everything around attracting that specific person. Do I, do I have that right? That's dead on. Cool. Yeah. That you're speaking my language here. I love it. Oh, That's good. exactly the advice that I would give to just about any business owner out there. So I guess one of the big questions I have then is, you do those interviews with your perfect clients and you start asking questions and being curious. How does that then translate to the creative? Because oftentimes that's where I think the hard part is where you know that you want to attract this specific customer avatar, but how do I do that? How do I actually attract that person? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the best part of my job and the challenge. It's a ton of research. Right. Once you know who that person is, then it's figuring out what they look for in businesses that they frequent and what your business needs to be to them. And from there, from the creative side, you'll I'll pick appropriate fonts or colors to evoke the emotion that we need to evoke and and create something with some meaning behind it. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, it's hard to communicate that because that's why we have creative agencies out there, right? To to do that experimentation and to to actually put the thoughts into some sort of visual format that that conveys those feelings. And really it's just a it's a lot of trial and error, it's a lot of research. And a lot of times I think the best thing you can do is Make different versions of it, make different iterations, and then go back to those people, right? Go back to that target audience and show them and say, hey, how does this make you feel? How does this yes. one make you feel? Which one do you like more? Which would you rather? It, it, it's it's a continuous feedback loop. Absolutely. And such an important point. Don't just throw your creative on social media and ask for everyone's opinions. <laughs> That's like my biggest pet peeve. Um <laughs> is if you're getting an opinion on your logo, your website, 
whatever, go to your target market because every other opinion is superfluous. And it's just going to make it harder for you to make a decision. And then if anything's negative, you're you're going to have a hard time forgetting that. Yeah. You know, if my mom says, hey, that logo's ugly and it's for a 15, for teenage boys for a video game company, it doesn't matter. But I'm mm-hmm. going to remember that my mom doesn't like it or whatever, or your friend yeah. or someone on Facebook said something mean about it, but they don't they don't have a stake in it. Right. Wow. And it's interesting. I don't know what the psychological reason for it is, but I feel like those negative things stick a lot more than the positive things do. I mean, I could have like a thousand good reviews for my business and then one client could call me and be like upset and leave a bad review or whatever and it would ruin my day. I'd be so distraught over that one, one negative piece. And, and part of that is because I care and I want to do good. But I, another piece of that is that I just think negative feedback for some reason it has a psychological piece in our brains that, that just latches onto that. Yeah. I was, I, I was going to say that speaks a lot about you as a business owner that you care about bad reviews or, <laughs> you know, negative, negative feedback. And I think. It's something that I know I have to get better at it as a, you know, as a creative person is managing expectations because there's mm. constructive feedback and then there's like nasty feedback and you can't do anything with nasty feedback. Right. Right. Yeah. Sometimes the best thing you can do with nasty feedback is just ignore it and say, well, that person must have been having a bad day. I hope they feel better now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes you are just the... The person who gets, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Well, that kind of leads us into a a different topic here. I mean, obviously, the whole point of this podcast, it's TrustCast. It's all about building trust with clients and with customers and and conveying the right message for your business. What are some of the things that you do at your agency to make sure that you create a trusting relationship with your clients? I work very hard to be completely transparent. And I've also developed a process with my clients that's collaborative. So before I onboard anyone, they know all the steps we're going to take. They know timelines. Obviously, timelines are dependent on feedback, as you know, Jacob, but (laughs) they know projected timelines. I always say I'm just an email or a phone call away. You can ask any question, no such thing as a bad question or a dumb idea. And I have touch points for my bigger branding clients. I have touch points all along the process because I, I mean, I know other designers kind of have that initial consultation disappear. Mm-hmm. And then like a month later they come back and they're like, here you go. And you're kind of like, well, what were they doing for that whole month? Um, so I have mm-hmm. touch points, um, check-ins they, where they can actually see what I've been working on, give some feedback, and I've found it a very effective process. I get great results because nobody's blindsided. I'm not blindsided. They're not blindsided. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is communication. Right? Yeah. From the very beginning. I'm a text or phone call away. We're going to have check-ins and checkpoints where we can communicate and get feedback and, and integrate that feedback. And I'll tell you, I have 
done this the right way and I've done this the wrong way. <laughs> and I'll be the first to admit that. But I have plenty of clients that I have been that person where I, I get the project and I kind of disappear and then I come back and I'm like, here you go. And as I've worked to make sure that we have those touch points, like you're talking about, I've seen a huge difference in our agency and the way that the clients feel working with us. It's just so much better. And what we try to do now is usually have a weekly or a bi-weekly check-in, just depending on on the project. And that is just so helpful. Makes a big difference. And I think even over-communicating can be helpful for a client. And sometimes this is just how well you know your clients. And I find I over-communicate the newer our relationship is. But Mm -hmm. I had a rush project actually come in this week on Tuesday and we had a quick phone call and I said, I'm going to work on it tomorrow. And regardless of where I am Wednesday afternoon, I will email you and let you know. Mm. So if I'm halfway done, if I'm almost done, if it's a foolproof, you will know. So you will hear from me because it was time sensitive. And I think I ended up sending him a proof that was 90% finished. I think I had three or four pages left. I said, let's get some feedback on this. I'll finish the last pages, add your revisions, and it'll be done. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps build trust instead of me just sending a proof Thursday morning. He knew he was going to get it Thursday morning. He got that extra touch point on Wednesday instead of just, oh, I hope I get it Thursday sometime or Friday. And he's kind of left in the dark guessing. Mm. I like that. I think that's something I'm going to have to incorporate into the stuff we do. If if we have a project due on a specific day, maybe reaching out to the client the day before. I, I love that. That's 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 really good. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> I, I, I stole it too, technically. I had a, a job years ago. It wasn't a graphic design or branding job. It was while I was building my business, actually, at a bank. And they had what they called the 24-hour rule. So that you get back to a customer in 24 hours, whether you have the solution or not. Mm. So you, again, it was banking. So someone had a problem with their account. You spent all day working on it. It's five o'clock. You email them and say, hey, sorry, I don't have it figured out. You'll hear from me tomorrow, one way or the other. And then right. tomorrow would come and either you had it figured out or you didn't. And you'd email them again and say, whatever, sorry, had to escalate it or Nope, here you go. It's resolved. But you contacted them every day until it was done. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes when we don't communicate, people will assume the worst. Or at least I know I do. Um, <laughs> if, if I haven't heard anything, I assume that it's not progressing or it's not going anywhere, even though it probably is uh, to give the person on the other end the benefit of the doubt. But by communicating, you eliminate the ability for that person to assume the worst because you checked in with them and you just gave them a quick update. And so they know where it's at. And so I think you're right. Over communication is probably it's better to err on that side than on the other. Absolutely. And if they're the kind of client that's more hands off, they just won't respond. But I think at the end of the day, they'd rather have I think bad news is better than no news. And not that, you know, not having something done or not having it figured out is bad news necessarily. But I th think you're right, that anticipation, that waiting, that not knowing what's going on is a lot harder on a person than just saying, hey, something came up. I need to get help on this. I can't figure it out. Whatever might be causing the holdup or whatever the update is, I think I'd rather hear that than be guessing. 
it sounds to me like your agency would be a wonderful agency to work with. I can already tell just from talking to you for the past 30 minutes how you you take care of your clients. I, I can just tell that you do. So that's amazing. And we need we need more businesses like that. So thank you for being one of those amazing businesses for sure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, well, is there anything else before we kind of wrap things up related to marketing, branding, maybe a pet peeve that you have with the industry? Anything you want to talk about before we wrap things up here? Oh, I think... I think the only thing I might add is that if you're a business owner listening to this is to really put your customers first and to, you know, if you have personal preferences to be able to maybe put those aside uh, for the branding and marketing process, even if you just try it, branding and marketing is a living entity. Uh, So if you don't like it, you can always change it. Or if it doesn't work, you can always change it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Katie. And everyone, Katie, obviously we've been listening to her. She's the type of business you want to do business with. So definitely go and check her out. It's a paper lime creative is paperlime.ca. Where else can we find you, Katie? Paper lime is on Instagram at paper lime creative. We have a Facebook page also at paper lime creative and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Katie Dooley. Awesome. I don't know if we're connected yet, but we will be now because I'm definitely going to reach out. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Katie. You have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Jacob. You too. Yeah. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to TrustCast. This podcast has been a production of JMH Media. I'm Jacob Harmon, and I've been your host. The TrustCast podcast team consists of Josh Harmon and Steve Hill. I really couldn't do this without them. Music licensing comes thanks to Epidemic Sound. And if you've liked what you've heard, we invite you to subscribe to TrustCast in your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help. Join us next time as we continue to break through the noise by building real human connections and trust in business. See you then.